Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Horse Geeks podcast, where we look at horses and riding from the inside out. I'm Kirsten Nelson, professional horse trainer. And with me once again, my co-host, Deborah Romero, certified Alexander Technique instructor. So we're recording this. It's not going to be released today, but we're recording this on New Year's Eve. And that's why we're both bundled up. There's a cold front yeah, coming through. <laughs> <laughs> and my cats are inside, so we may get some cameos of cats on the video. Oh. Huh, Lily? Yes. Um, so today's topic, we thought we'd talk about the difference between goals and intentions. Like setting New Year's goals, or are we setting intentions for our lives? And Maybe it's a subtle difference, but I think how it plays out, especially with our horses, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So an intention to me is where I want to go, what I want out of life, what I want out of owning a horse, what I want out of owning this horse, what I want with mm -hmm. this horse. The goals are what we can do together. Right. So if I have a goal of competing, so for example, many, many, many years ago, the first schoolmaster I ever bought had been competing successfully at fourth level dressage. And I bought him because I wanted to learn how to do that level of work with a horse that already knew how to do it. And that was my goal. But I also loved this horse, and my intention was to learn with him, to have a partnership with him, to have all of those magical qualities that we all dream about with our horses. And so once I had him, what ended up happening was a lot of his physical issues started to surface, right? And I wanted to learn a higher level of horsemanship with this horse. I would say that's a better encapsulation of okay. my intention. I wanted to learn more about horses and especially learn about what it's going to take to compete at a higher level. And my goal was to get him out and show him at fourth level in dressage. Well, once I had him, all these physical issues started coming up, right? And why he couldn't perform maybe as well as he used to, what was my part of that, what was his part of that, and the more physical issues that started to surface with his body, the more I had to set aside my goal of us competing together, but I never lost the intention of learning what it was going to take with the horse I had. That's so <clears throat> that horse changed my life. And he Why, was, I, yep, yep. He was actually a really important schoolmaster in my life. Because up until him, I had been dealing with horses that had oh, behavioral issues right. and not all that safe to ride. And he was safe to ride. He was <clears throat> really cooperative. He was a great horse, but his body was falling apart. Mm -hmm. And in the journey, following my intention. <clears throat> of what it was going to take to learn to compete at a higher level. Instead of just saying, oh, I need a different horse, I went, what do I need to do to get this horse back into competition? 
because I loved him. I loved our relationship. I loved many things about him, but his body was not up for the job. Th yeah, those I, were my... I kind of, I get that because I see you can even relate to it in the Alexander world because if your goal is to get in your car and get somewhere, but you're not thinking of your intention of how am I getting there? Right. Or if the, your intention yeah. is to feel good in your body. Right. And your goal is to go to the grocery store and fill your refrigerator. <clears throat> then can you put that intention together with your goal? Yeah. Does it match? Or um, do you, what, why I always, what people don't realize is we have choices that we can change the goal. I might have to let go of a little bit of ego and. <laughs> well, and that's stuff. what happened to me with this. Yeah. Horse. My yeah. intention never changed. My Here intention to learn more about horses and learn what it was going to take to compete at a higher level than I had before that intention was actually never lost. Right. But the goals had to change. Exactly. Or so, maybe even the timing of the goal. Right. Sometimes the, the, that we get in our head, we've seen this over and over again in our society, you know, the 30, 60, 90 days of on the horse. Yeah. You know, how many times have we heard that? Well, and um, that's just it. Like, even if we're, lunging our horse, which we've talked about before, is the goal maintain gait, maintain direction more important than the intention of improving how our horse walks, trots, and canters? Exactly. So eventually we want both the goal, but I want to walk, trot, and canter with my horse moving in a good posture balancing the energy between forwardness and control over forwardness and having beautiful movement in all three gates. So if my goal is just, you better, if I think my goal is how I get there, then I can mm. lose sight of my intention. Mm -hmm. Right. So like this yeah, horse, I see that. <clears throat> this horse I had totally changed my life. And he's the horse that led me down the path of understanding equine biomechanics, understanding functional anatomy and how we influence that when we ride. So he was absolutely the schoolmaster I intended when I got him. Right. But because the goals changed so much from competition to healing, I go, my goal became helping this horse rehab rather than getting mm -hmm. the horse back in the show ring. I think we all have that opportunity with every horse we come in contact with. It's whether we choose it or not. Yeah, because I hear all the time when I ask a new client, you know, what's your intention with this horse? Mm -hmm. And I specifically use that word and then ask them, okay, and what are your goals? But everybody pretty commonly will say their main intention with the horse is to improve their own horsemanship, to learn more about their horse, to develop a deeper relationship with their horse. And lots of people have these wonderful intentions. Mm -hmm. But then I go, okay, now what are your goals? Well, I want to be showing at this level by this time, 
or I want to be jumping this high, or I want to be able to get out on the trails and do this. Right. And so I go, okay. And this is where the rubber meets the road in no a kidding. partnership. You have as a horse, it's a living, thinking being with an opinion and, mm. and unique abilities, right? So if our intention is all these nice, wonderful feeling things, the question for me then becomes, how do we get to our goal without sacrificing our intention? Yeah. And it, you, it may not be, I think we tend to think linearly. Like if we don't get our goal, we're not right. meeting if our we, intention. It, right. That instead of, um, it's kind of like riding or with tunnel vision and not keeping the whole perspective in the picture. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because like the intention of sort of the whole premise of half of the work I do, which is just developing, helping the horse cultivate and maintain the learning frame of mind. The learning frame of mind just means dominant in the in the parasympathetic nervous mm -hmm. system, because that's the best state for the body to learn, right? When the parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system is dominant by a little or a lot, that doesn't mean the sympathetic isn't running in the background, right? But we have to feel essentially safe for the, for the parasympathetic nervous system to dominate the body. So thus it becomes a learning frame of mind, ready to and learn. They've, they've studied that in children. It's Children can't learn if they're functioning under fear or anxiety. Um, or tension. Tension, or... peer pressure. Right. All of that it's proven so i think i think we forget to apply that to our horses yeah and part of i think what ended up evolving into different training strategies was that singular intention realizing how important it is to help our gigantic thousand pound prey animal feel safe mm-hmm and I go, it's sort of just in adapting to around that intention, horses basically showed me a lot of different strategies to realize that intention. But they yeah. weren't all my ideas. Like if right. I had a if I had a goal, like we're gonna use this strategy this way until the horse gets it, then I was having to lose ground on my true intention in order to do that. And I think that's where we that's where we become frustrated, angry, you know, it's not working. It's not working. <laughs> that whole mentality and instead of I've changed, of course I've done that. Of course I've been there. Yeah. But I've changed it to, well, isn't that interesting? Hmm, I wonder what I need to change or look at differently, you know, to get to where I need to get to. Instead of going into that, what I call that tunnel vision control, have to do it my way thinking. Yeah. 
Yeah, because, and I think that's why it's kind of important to talk about the subtle difference between intention Mm -hmm. and goals, because the goals are sort of the end result. End game. We say, okay, this is what we want to do. It's an end result. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to consider how are we getting to that end result? And sometimes if I hang on to the intention that I want to maintain a healthy, mutually beneficial relationship with my horse, that I benefit, but also my horse benefits from this interaction, then that's going to really temper my timing, my feel, my balance, the strategy I choose, when I choose a different strategy, when I make different choices during training, is all kind of guided by that primary intention. So I could take multiple paths to the same goal. It, there's not only one That's path. Huge. Uh, that multiple <clears throat> path, there's not only one way. I think, and I see that out in the training world, you know, it's a lot of trainers are, it's my way or the highway. It has to be this way. It has to be this way. We will, these have always been traditionally the ABCs of how to get there. Well, maybe that's not true, really. Maybe you need to ask some other questions like, well, what about trying FDC? (laughs) You know what I mean? Or Um, XYZ. Or XYZ. Why not start back here and work our mm -hmm. way towards that? Yeah. Yeah. And why do we consider, like you said, stepping back? That sounds like a negative connotation, doesn't it? I'm stepping back. But really, if you step back... You can see maybe the whole picture. And yourself included. Yeah. Yourself included. Like, how am I contributing to my horse's mm -hmm. success or am I contributing to the problem? Exactly. Yeah. And there's lots of new studies out there. Thank goodness. Um, You know, they're doing a lot with human movement. They're doing a lot with horse movement and the relationship between... Um, I was just watching a thing from Centaur Biomechanics about how they noticed right-handed people, 10, 90% of the right-handed riders they had were tensing their right arm and shifting their pelvis to the left. That's Blew so interesting. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. No. I went, it- oh, I didn't even take that into consideration. You know, we don't think about our habits that we bring to the equation and how they affect the horse. No, I see that all day, every day, because there's a phrase that we call left-handed and right-handed horses. Mm -hmm. And most, just like, you know, most people are right-handed, but not all people. Most horses are left-handed, but not all horses. Right. And I kept thinking, why do we have so many left-handed horses which is in from the horse's perspective, it's it becomes the dominant side. The skeleton gravitates a little bit left. The body weight gravitates forward and left to the left front leg. And the right hind leg becomes sort of underused. And that's a really common pattern mm-hmm. when you start working on horse balance. 
And I kind of thought, like, I'm glad somebody's researching it because yeah, it's I go, really cool stuff. I'm sure a right-handed person is contributing to that because we're just stronger. If you're right-handed, you tend to be physically stronger on the right side. So you mm -hmm. don't realize how much extra muscle you're using. Exactly. And exactly. I go left-handed horses. Well, from the time horses are born, we're putting the halter on from the left, yep. we're leading from the left, we're almost creating an orientation for horses towards their left side. Just with our daily handling, just everything we do is from the left. It's pure physics too. I mean, you're just going to fire more neurotransmitters to the side you're on the most. It, it's just a phys pure physics. Right. Right. Yeah. But no, that is singularly, I got to say, when working on rehab or balance is the right-handed rider with the left-handed horse. Mm -hmm. and I've, it I've never thought of that because I'm left-handed. Mm. <laughs> but I have to say, yes, that most of the horses I see go better to the left than the right with right-handed riders. That's really interesting. And what's, what I found in just sort of like working with a bunch of different horses and riders, there's a slight pattern in horses that have had a lot of training that are coming in for rehab after they've achieved some competitive, mm -hmm. you know, goals and, and they've been ridden by a professional. That's most often where I find a right-handed horse. Wow. And, and, may, and I, that takes me back to that 30, 60, 90 days of ride, because if you think about it in your brain, when you put that goal that something has to be achieved by this date, our intentions could be very rigid and not flexible at all with what we have. Well, you may need to sacrifice the horse's internal coordination. Mm -hmm. You may need to sacrifice the horse's ability to do all of that work while feeling 100% safe. Yeah. You may have to sacrifice, so you may have to sacrifice the relationship a bit to accomplish that goal. So yes. what is the driving intention behind getting the horse trained and rideable? And does that require if even if we're working as fast as we can with a horse, which is what I do now, I have no idea how long it's going to take. That's what I tell people. And it, that is so difficult even. And it, it's even in our medical world of um, six weeks of PT after a knee surgery or whatever, you know, this timing of, of, and, and bodies just don't work that way. <laughs> no, not our bodies, not the horse's they just body. Don't. Yeah. Um, no, and I think too, like sometimes the intention of having the horse move in better balance can actually, like if we have a time frame on that goal, that it should happen by the time a horse is a certain age or after X months of training. I think that's the wow. very reason we developed gadgets and leverage. I think that cut. leverage, that's a good word, leverage. We leverage a lot. Yeah, because if it's not happening, if we're not reaching our time goal, 
with the body we have, we think let's make it happen faster by artificially putting the horse in a posture of balance. I go, "Mm, the body's going to find a way if that's not easy or comfortable or feeling safe internally to the horse, the horse will figure out a way to compensate in ways that really shock me. Like I've ridden and worked with horses in compensation patterns that are layered like an onion. You're just, you know, there's just layer and layer and layer of how they've learned to cope with artificial framing or leverage or restriction. And they still didn't find balance. They just learned how to cope with it. The fight, flight, fawn, freeze thing going on. We did a podcast on that. That's part of the layering too that I've seen. I've seen it in people. Yeah. The, that, you know, the, the protection mechanisms, the layering that you've got to get through and maybe you didn't realize you Absolutely. had a lot to get through. Yeah, because it's not uncommon. I had this great podcast with Dr. Hancock. We were talking about the polyvagal nervous system and what they call the dorsal vagal state is really a significant deep level of fear where the horse just shuts down. Mm. And it could be temporary, like freezing is one, but it could be kind of a permanent do what you will attitude of the horse. And a lot of times those horses, when they're coming in for rehab, they're described as dead broke and safe for kids and the perfect lesson horse because they're never acting out in a dangerous way. So people think, oh, this horse is calm or accepting or well-trained. Well-trained. I like that one. Or husband horse, the husband horse. Yeah, because they're basically in such a shutdown state that they tolerate whatever Mm -hmm. the rider is doing without really having an opinion anymore. They're just trying to survive the ride. And I go, what is that anybody's real intention in learning horsemanship Mm -hmm. or learning to ride? I think if we realize that that's the state the horse is in, it could be shocking and horrifying to most people who love horses. I don't Mm. think that's anybody's intention. But it becomes, because our goals sometimes override our intentions, Right, it's not uncommon to see horses in a polyvagal, in, in the dorsal vagal state, really shut down. And people are happy because they're safe. They're not being they threatened. They are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a horse can, and, and this has happened absolutely in rehab. It has become an expected part of healing. I agree. That a horse coming into rehab who's been in this dorsal vagal state mm-hmm. of shutdown and just, it's basically the body releases some endorphins in that state because it's such a state of defensiveness that the body is sort of prepared for death. Like that's how deep that defensive Mm -hmm. layer is. And when you're helping the horse come out of that state, it's expected as part of the healing for them to suddenly blow up 
and show they wake up yeah they they wake up and they start it's an expressing awakening i've seen it mm -hmm. yeah so all of a sudden this horse is more aggressive or more flighty or blowing up out of nowhere with things that the horse used to cope with just fine right right so all of a sudden you have a whole lot more horse on your hand as they're coming out of that dorsal vagal state as they're starting to come back into a healthy normal level of defensiveness that they can express freely and so sometimes our intention of trying to help the horse balance more like this happens at a level of high competition where we think we should know better right where we think we should have enough knowledge that our horses are not suffering right that our horses are partners And yet we still see expressions of fight or flight or even this dorsal vagal state in all levels of, of horsemanship. And, and I go, that loses the intention completely of having a relationship with a horse that is mutually beneficial. And that's my primary intention with any horse is a mutually beneficial relationship. So I don't want to get hurt by my horse. That's not part of my intention. Right. But I don't want my horse to suffer so that I can ride and do what I want. I go, I may as well have a bike, right? Why I agree. have a horse? Why not take up a different sport if I'm not in it for the partnership and the relationship that's part of the deal with another living creature. I was just having a conversation with neighbors about that last night that I wonder, I don't know, I want a relationship. It's kind of like a marriage to me, you know, Yeah. I, how many divorces would I have been through if I considered it? Because <laughs> I think there's another thing of people that, yeah, that if it doesn't work, they just get a different horse. And I've never understood that. Yeah, that's because the goals, the intention is different. And I'm not saying that in a judgy way. I go because some people's intention, if you really peel back the layers, is to have the accolades of winning something, of being good at something, at being special. And the horse is more the vehicle to that. Right? Mm -hmm. But right the, okay the now I see what you're saying yeah Yeah, if the intention is really when you peel it all back and look at it in the bright light of day, if that's really the person's driving that intention, old metal or whatever yeah right, then of course they're going to get there by any means necessary at possibly the expense of the horse because the relationship is not part of the intention. And I'm not judging it. I go, let's just call it what it is. That is, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. And so, like some people doing sports, maybe the intention is to become healthy, or maybe the intention is to be the best that ever was and win and break records. Right. Right. So, there, you know, those two underlying intentions are going to determine different goals and is really going to influence the process to the goals. Mm hmm And that, I think, is just the importance of really understanding what is. my intention behind my goals. 
why do I want that goal? If the goal was suddenly handed to me tomorrow, right? What would it feel like? What would it be like? How would I feel? Like, I, I, um, you know, what's my intention mm -hmm. behind desiring that goal? Then I think you really take a different look at your goals. I think so. I, cause I'm looking back and we've both shown, so we've both, you know, been on that roller coaster. Um, and I have to admit, yeah. there is a huge part of my intention behind as a competitive rider when I had to look at myself a little more deeply and that one horse I'm talking about really pulled that to the forefront is my intention to show because I need to prove to myself and the world that I'm good with horses or is my intention to learn from this horse and maybe I have to change my goals to do that. Yeah. I mean, I've got that experience with, we've talked about it. My big mare, the breeder was like, I want you to show, show, show. I need you to get her out there and show her because I need to, you know, get more to my stallion. And I, you know, and we don't realize how much outside pressure sometimes we get mm -hmm. and not really mull that over. Like, is that truly the path I want to take? to get there yeah and thank goodness you know i mean when she was a two-year-old she was ranked sixth in the nation by usdf for movement and then we had that whole neck issue come up so it was likely partially genetic which you knew nothing yeah. of at the time nope and i had to completely change directions we yeah did, and both of us of oh my gosh okay well now what do we do with this? Right. And and my horse that came to me sort of looking beautiful and competing at fourth level, the longer I had him, the more I was watching his body sort of fall apart. Mm -hmm. I go, he's atrophying. What am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. And so I really looked at what I was doing. And then the more I got help with vets and body workers and farriers, it's like this whole myriad of issues started to become uncovered. And I had to really look at my intentions and go, is my intention, what's driving me, right? What's it, driving me is a really good question. And I wonder if a lot of, I think about this all the time. I wonder if a lot of riders are type A. Hard to say. I mean, hard there's, to say? yeah. I go, there is sort of maybe a genetic thing we all have in common <laughs> that we're just, we just love horses and we don't know why. And we don't know why. What we don't know that? why. Why but don't I, I have I, a bike, you know? Because <laughs> there's a lot of clients I work with that are not type, type A at all. They're very clear that their oh. whole intention of having a horse is because they like this horse. They want a relationship and they want to understand their horse. That's cool. And they're really... They don't set a lot of, um, what do I want to say? They arbitrary goals. Like a lot of them are just backyard riders, trail riders. Right. They like, they're not competing. They're not competing. They're not putting themselves under any pressure regarding performance. And ironically, I watch that combination 
even if it's kind of a tricky combination to start, like a rider who doesn't have a lot of experience mm -hmm. with a horse that's pretty tricky physically or behaviorally, and they just make amazing progress. Mm. Because I think that's what's important to horses. Like horses care a lot that they feel safe and that they feel comfortable in their movement mm -hmm. and that they have a r relationships with other horses, with the barn cat, with a goat, with their human right. horses, love relationships. And so if I look at things through my horse's eyes, that helps me understand how to have a relationship. You know, I like that. I like some that. people Looking will, through it their eyes instead of ours. Yeah. You know? And some people will say, well, if I do this, is that right or wrong? If I do that, is that right or wrong? How do how do I know if I'm being appropriate or inappropriate? I go, well, by the response your horse gives you. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you what to do in your relationship with a horse anymore that I could tell you how to be married. Like, right. Everybody makes it up. As you go. There's no right or wrong formula for maintaining your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your horse. Yeah, that's what I told my kids. I said, I'm not saving for your college education. I'm saving for your therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize ahead of time for anything I did. I didn't oh, know any that's better. So funny. <laughs> No, and also I decided as a horse trainer, a lot of horse trainers will bring horses up to sort of their level of of knowledge or experience or competency, or some horse trainers do better with this breed of horse or that breed mm. of horse. And I decided I just wanted to learn about horses. So the breed, the age, whatever, that doesn't matter. I want to learn what horses have in common. And my intention was to become really good with horses. So it didn't matter what crossed my plate. I go, I can learn from this. And when things go wrong, I can learn from this. Mm -hmm. but horses I... are pretty darn forgiving, you know, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. 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 They're very forgiving. And there's, there's a lot to learn from horses or learn in order to have our horse like being with us to sort of choose us. Oh, that is so, I was just thinking kind of along the same lines as that. Is it, I think they make me a better person. <laughs> oh yeah. They definitely yeah. make me a better they, person. My Working on my relationship with my horse makes me a better person. Yeah. And instead yeah. of being the type of horse trainer that sort of gets the same horse and same results and then moves them on, I made sort of part of my intention for learning involved keeping the horses I own. And mm -hmm. in that process, I have one horse that I've had since she was born and she's 30. And right. I go in that 30 years, I had to face my learning curve I had to look at everything I did wrong and how do I turn that around? How do it's I not learn like she from could that? kick you out, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you. I'm done. You're done. Although she would tell me that. <laughs> yeah. We get yeah. that. We get those lessons occasionally, don't we? <laughs> oh, she was quite clear. 
if, she was if, quite, clear. quite clear, if I thought I was, you know, the greatest of all times and she would look at me like, you don't have a clue. You, you stupid yeah. human. You stupid human. You still don't understand. Horses. You don't get it yet. Yeah. And then on the days where I would get a knicker at the end of the work session, whether I was riding or doing groundwork, she would knicker at me if she liked the work. And I was uh, like, oh, that was better than the gold cup. I was like, <laughs> she likes me. She likes me today. <laughs> she likes what we did. <laughs> or when she's knickering at me over the fence, like, hey, mm -hmm. let's go do something. Yeah, I've noticed I, that, it the, really... that mine want to come to me. You know, they want... Yeah. Just, and that to me is telling that's positive re for me to get reassured that, okay, I must be doing something halfway, right? Yeah. I'm on the if right If they want to be in the same space with me. Yeah. That, that's a pretty cool thing. And if they look forward to working with me, I go, I think a lot of people also say, oh, horses hate work. I have a lazy horse. I have a horse that hates working in the arena. They just put no effort into it. They shut down, blah, blah, blah. And I go, all of that is just the horse telling you they're not having a very good time. With what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. They're not having a good time with what you're doing. So how could you look at maybe a way that gives horses <clears throat> something they enjoy or right. something my horse enjoys or enjoys doing? And a lot of times that means I had to be less ambitious towards my goals. That Is drive, that inner drive we have, I think we need to check in with that quite frequently. Yeah. Like I had yeah. to really think, is this fun for my horse? And am I still having fun? Or am I working now so hard towards my goal that the fun is sort of fallen onto the back burner? Yeah, I have to be real careful with that because I can be very driven and goal oriented. And my work as an Alexander teacher has really taught me, oh, let, let's bring in the pause. Let's, you know, bring in the whole picture. Where are we going? Do we need to look at a different direction? So. Right. <clears throat> no, so I think coming into the new year, it's always the time I think about things like this. And I'm horrible at setting New Year's resolutions. And oh, keeping so am them. I. I'm, I'm horrible. Like, I don't want to not make it to that resolution or goal. So why bother making it? <laughs> well, I started thinking it it puts a type of pressure because at the beginning of the year, I have one way in my mind of achieving that goal. And I go, I'm closing off the possibility. That exactly. there's a million ways to get to that goal. Yep. And so I kind of shifted from resolutions to New Year's intentions. And the way I was taught to think about intentions is if you had all the money in the world and no constraints whatsoever, you were physically capable, you have the perfect horse, your horse is perfect for you, and everything's going beautifully now what? Right? Exactly. What is it you get from that? What is it that's driving you for that? Let's say we had a magic wand and all of that happened today. Wow. Right? If all those things happened today, 
Why do you want it? What do you get from it? And that's, I think, how you uncover what your intention is. Because I didn't really know. I had to give it a lot of thought to uncover what my true intentions were for me, for my life, for my relationship with the horses. That took a lot of thinking time and kind of peeling mm -hmm. back. Is that a goal or is that an intention? Yeah. Right? Because the goals are kind of the stepping stones. Like those are the ways we move we we do things, but the it kind of gives you a, a a forward thinking, but the intention keep should I think should keep you present in the moment, yeah, and moving forward. Like just even if we take some typical examples, I'm going to go to the gym every day. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to meditate every day. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to drop 10 pounds, my New Year's resolution, right? But what's the intention behind that? So mm -hmm. why, why? Am, what's the why, why? setting those goals? Why? Right? Mm -hmm. So like if my intention is to meditate daily, I go my, or my goal is to meditate daily, I go my intention is to clear my mind, to be more thoughtful, mm -hmm. to be more peaceful. Right. to be less stressed, right? So if I peel it back to my intention, I go, well, today life might get in the way of my meditation time, but I could still achieve my intention if I'm creative and I look for opportunities. Right. And that's what I found with horses. If my goal, <clears throat> if my intention is to have a mutually beneficial relationship with my horse, some days I have no idea what I'm going to do. I like that too. I like to just show up mm -hmm. <laughs> and just be in the presence of them. You know, it's like my husband will say, you're in a bad mood. Why don't you just go to the barn? <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm so happy. <laughs> Just being, you know, like in their breathing space and hearing them chew food and I don't know. Maybe yeah. And like in rehab, I go, I've had to set lots of small goals, mm -hmm. right? If my intention is to restore the body to healthy movement and help my horse become sound and comfortable, being athletic is the side effect, right? So right. I go, I'll have an athletic horse that I can compete if we can move in a more mechanically sound way, if we yes. have better coordination. So then my first goal is, can my horse maintain a stable spinal alignment and not be rotating side to side with every stride? And that could take a while to achieve, but that mm -hmm. first goal matches my intention. Right. It but if kind of, but if yeah. my goal is I'm gonna win a blue ribbon this year, then I might or not by even... the entry day. I always that was always would bother me is you know, the entry deadlines of things like I've gotta be ready by such and such a date. That's a lot of pressure. Well, and you either are or you aren't, but mm -hmm. that goal, are we getting there with the same intention? 
right. of our horse remaining sound, our horse being the best it can be, our horse feeling safe and loving working with us? Or are we strapping on gadgets and leverage to try to meet that goal? Like that's the difference. If we don't separate our intention from the goals, you can reach goals a million different ways. Right. Right. But what I see in the horse industry is really good people with the right intentions often lose sight of their intention with their horse in order to achieve a goal. A goal. Yeah. And so that's just some food for thought I want to throw out there in this podcast because we don't have to do it that way. There's not just one way. There's that's never for sure. just one way. There's never. And we still don't have all the answers. You know, we're learning all the time. Different no, and ways our, our horse has more guidance for us than any human like our horse, if we really listen, will show us through behavior, energy, body language, that's easy for me. This is not easy for me. Right. I, I like that. I don't like that. Or I'm struggling. I need support. Yeah. Or leave me the hell alone. Or leave me alone. <laughs> I, yeah, I think people could listen more. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we present more and listen more. Yeah. That'll save you a hundred dollars an hour going to the marriage therapist. It's (laughs) (laughs) same with the horses. Yeah. Just be present and listen more. Yeah. And be willing to look at our own contribution in our horse's happiness or unhappiness. Yeah. We're not neutral in that relationship. It's a two-way relationship. So our horse doesn't get to abuse us and we don't right. abuse our horse. Yeah. Right? It's a back and forth mutual thing. So I guess we can end with that. I think yes. for New Year's, I hope I know this is coming out a little later in January even though today is New Year's Eve. Um, but hopefully still within January, where maybe we could ponder a little bit the difference between our goals and our deeper intentions with our horse. Yeah. And the two are not mutually exclusive, but they need to work in harmony. Mm -hmm. So what is our deepest intention from even owning a horse and having a horse Mm -hmm. and getting on and riding? And are we sacrificing that intention in the process of getting to our goals? Or could we just find another way? Just the why of it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, everybody. Happy New Year 2024. And thank you for joining us for another episode. We look forward to seeing you in the new year. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody.